Here we go. We're going to see how this goes. I get to see into the hearts of, of coaches and athletes yes. so quickly. We can have this adrenaline rush in the moment and still be the image bearers of Christ that we are called to be. My passion is for the life of Christ to be lived out through me. I mean, Seth turned a little red when he was talking. It was really, really good. I get really excited. We want to find an easier time. We want to find a better time. And it's never going to appear. The best time is now. Zach, you're dropping proverbs on us, man. My work as coach is a minister of the gospel. Man, I am looking forward to more conversations around this. You guys are the best. Hello and welcome back to the Competing Biblically podcast. Seth here with Nick and Zach as always. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Excited. It's our go-to word. Yeah, we're fired up. Interns. Delaware FCA intern crew reported this week. We got a live audience in the house, which is great. My kids are with their grandmother, so we don't have to worry about kids running around upstairs and we can kind of record through it so i'm really excited and we get to talk about the life of jesus and how this is going to apply to the principle that we're talking about today so all in all fired up yeah i'm happy to be back um i missed the last episode i've been gone for last two weeks getting in i guess my entire summer with family friends girlfriend all before this fca internship starts uh, which is nice because I get to have we get to have more people here in the office, which is really good for me and Nick because we sit down here <laughs> and just get in a weird state where we both laugh at all of each other's jokes and we get around other people and, and they think we're not funny. Well, no, we fair. laugh at e- we laugh at each other's jokes because we are funny. Well, we're funny to us. Is the more the more jokes I make. Uh, the more I realize that, like, I'm only funny to me and, like, That's three good. other people. That's good. Which is fine. That's all I need. I'm happy to be one I of them. I need three laughs. That's it. I'm happy to be one of them. Yeah. Excited. We were um, – it was really cool having Lindsay on last week, and she'll be back. She's not kicked off. She yeah. did a great job. Zach, you a, might be in trouble. She yeah. did pretty well. Yeah, I think it was, like, the biggest week that we've had as well with people listening, so. Yeah. Oh, I think we found – I think we found our magic sauce. No, no, no. We're not going anywhere. You, you're still here. Listen. We've been talking about it all over this podcast. I'm happy to do what is best for the people and what is best for the podcast. It's not about me. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Well, we're thankful to have you back. So we've covered foundation, went over the pillars, and now we're moving moving into the over. So, Nick, do you want to explain a little bit about New Realm? We're kind of entering. The foundation was kind of its own little section. The pillars were their own little section. We finished those. Now we're kind of moving into a more practical, everyday process into the overs. So, Yeah, so the pillars were really the another way that we call those are the verses. So those are two things that are like opposed to each other. So unity versus disunity. It's like there's, disunity is not good. Rebellion or resistance is not good. We're, in this section we're looking at overs which is about prioritization so today we're going to talk about the first kind of category of overs are people over productivity and it's not that i mean productivity is a good thing like if we don't do anything the proverbs are very quickly to condemn people who don't carry their weight and don't get anything done um the sluggard 
like the Proverbs would be quick. The Bible is quick to condemn that. So it's not that productivity is not important. It's just not as important as a leader or as a coach about what you can get from people versus investing in the people. It's prioritizing the people over what you can get from them, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we're going to be talking about today, which is exciting. And this is kind of the the, ra- the the frame of reference. So there's kind of two big categories. First one, like I said, people over productivity. And then the other one uh, is process over results. And they'll each have two or three kind of ways that we'll dive deeper into that and what does that actually look like and how does that get fleshed out. But yeah, the two big categories of the overs, people over productivity and process over results. Mm-hmm. And I think something too, an important caveat to this is when you invest in people, you are going to get more, like talk about investing in your players. When you invest in your players personally and care about the whole player, you are going to get more out of them. But also the world will tell you that take care of your people and you'll be able to get the most out of them. And that's still, we don't invest in people just to simply to get more from them. Like we are investing in people we're caring about people because we care about their souls and we care about who they are and where they're at yeah again like a lot of the topics we talk about in this podcast this isn't this brand new topic that is really like crazy to the world of sport you said like a lot of people outside of christianity will tell you you need to focus on people more than that but again all of this stuff is a mindset change it's not a change of action like a lot of people will invest in players because it'll make them a better player so again it's that big change of focus from i'm not investing this person because it's the right thing to do i'm investing in this person because it's the best for them and not the best for me another thing i would would want to add to this is there's a lot of people who say they care about the people on their team more than what their team produces and there's a lot of people that say they care for their players or for their staff but in my experience in in interacting with coaches and players and, and athletes and all that what people say and what they actually do a lot of times there's a big difference like especially as someone who's on staff with fca and we try to empower coaches to do this with their teams and what people say or maybe even think that they're doing on their team versus what actually happens is really different. You have to be really intentional about the way that you care for people. You have to make it a priority to yourself and, and to your program. Yeah, and and this is the Competing Biblically podcast. So what we're aiming to do here is shine the motivation behind it. We want to shine at what the Bible is saying. And we want, again, this is about the integration of faith and sport. This is where uh, it's not just an intersection, but it's an integration where our faith gets lived out in all the things that we do. So why do we value people over productivity? Yes, a byproduct of, a byproduct of valuing people is more productive people. I mean, I, I think back on a bunch of examples of Christian businesses throughout the years. Like there's a really cool book about the Guinness Corporation and how Guinness got started um, as a Christian company. And they were doing things that no one else was doing. They provided full-time dentists. They provided um, health care, like all things that were unprecedented in Ireland at the time. They, um, I'll look, we'll look up and put the book in the show notes, but, uh, it's a really cool book about the history of, of how these business owners use their beer company 
to bless their em, em, employees, that they cared more about them than what they could get out of them. And the other, the other example that I think of is Milton Hershey. So depending on where you're listening from, Hershey Food Company uh, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, there's a huge theme park there called Hershey Park. And Hershey Park exists because Milton Hershey built this chocolate factory out in the middle of nowhere in central Pennsylvania, and he built the theme park for entertainment for the families of his employees. Like the whole town of Hershey exists because of his quote-unquote philanthropy, and there's still a school today. The way that he left his company, he left his company to a trust that would help to fund this school for those originated for orphan orphan boys, the Milton Hershey School, which is pretty cool. But anyway, yeah, we want to look at what the Bible says, and the Bible would say, like we've talked about, shocker, we're going to quote Philippians 2 again, but um, Philippians 2 would say, truly counting others as more significant than ourselves, not looking out for our own interests, but also the interests of others, valuing others as o- over ourselves, and, and even more than that, because, well, that fleshed out is when we value others as more than ourselves, we have to value others more than, especially those under us, serving them and loving them and caring for them. We have to value them over what we can get from them. But way too often in my life, I even had an interest, uh, I mean, I had heart check stuff this morning in trying to get ready for this podcast and interns coming and emails I had to send out and trying to get my workout in and get time, devotional time in and just dealt very transactionally with Lindsay and a concern that she had about just being tired. (laughs) Um, So it's really hard to get lost in that, but that's why we're the competing biblically podcast. We want to go and have the Bible uh, inform and motivate and the Holy Spirit meet that and bring it to life in our hearts. And again, this is not just about like my my college football coach used to say, this has everything to do about with football and nothing to do about football. It has everything to do with it and nothing at all. This is all about sport. It's all about competing. But this is applicable to all stages of life because sport, again, is a microcosm of the rest of life. Yeah, so as we move into really the meat for this episode, uh, we found as we were reading and as we were picking out scriptures for this topic – we found that it really broke off into two separate topics. One where we find Jesus intentionally going out of his way to put people over his own needs and over his own priorities. And then another where he gets interrupted from his priorities and is still places people over over those. The first one comes from Mark 6. And this is after a day where the disciples have been drained. They've been working. Jesus has been traveling and teaching. And it picks up in verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went into the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Yeah, and then from there he goes on, and it's the, the famous feeding of the 5,000. 
gave him a little boy's lunch of uh, two fish and five loaves of bread. It says that Jesus prayed and blessed it. Um, and then he actually gave the food over to the disciples that they had to actually deliver it. Like that they were a part of the miracle. I think for one of the first times that we see in scripture is that the disciples aren't just kind of doing other work. They're participating in this miracle of Jesus of feeding 5,000 men plus however many women. And so it's more, much more than 5,000 people, but feeding thousands with five loaves of bread and, and two fish, the disciples get to be a part of this. And, and the thing that jumps out to me is that like at the forefront, they're going to retreat. Like they're, they're going to do something good. So I guess like, it just as, as Zach, you were getting ready to read, the thought that came to my mind is maybe we didn't need to define productivity because we're still like in valuing people, we're still being productive. It's just we're not being productive through the world's eyes. Like we're hmm. not doing – let's just break it down for sport. What is productivity in sport? It is chasing championships. It's winning games. I mean, look, we got into a heated debate down here in the basement today of who is the GOAT in basketball. Is it MJ? Is it LeBron? Is it Kobe? Blood was boiling. It was exciting. Uh, but that's how we evaluate and measure – productivity is by rings and by wins like by success productivity Mm -hmm. equals success and what we're saying here jesus isn't even looking to do something quote unquote successful it says that they weren't even able to have enough leisure time to eat Mm -hmm. they're exhausted he's saying let's pull away and we're going to pray and we're going to get refreshed from the father and then boom there's five thousand people that need to hear the word of life and need to experience the bread of life and he gives them yeah, he gives that to him. He stops his agenda, and, and meets them in their need right where they are. Yeah, and and I think um, one thing that is all well not always, but the past couple of years that stuck out to me, and I think I mentioned this a while ago in one of our episodes, but that as we're going, the Lord just really impressed my heart that we always need to be willing to be interrupted, and this might be a little off topic, but one of those things is we live lifestyles that are in such a hurry that we need to get here. We need to get there. We need to get there. Um, or we need to do this and then do this and then do that. That if there were an opportunity for us to be a blessing to someone or that God were to call us to do something, we literally have no time. We have no availability. We're not available. Nick always shares with us fat C faithful, available, teachable, and competent. Courageous. Courageous. One of those is available. I mean, if you're not available, it is hard to be used if you're if you're not available. So we, when you're structuring practice, like you go through, this is what we're going to do. These are the stations we're going to run. These are the drills we're going to go through. This is what we're. This is the game plan we're going to cover. Is there room? Not saying you don't plan out a full practice, mm-hmm. but if something were to come along with a couple of your athletes, that's going on with them, or if. I don't know if you guys ever show up and there's just, I'm sure we all do at practice and there's just this um, deadness or maybe there's a looming, something like at that point is, are you so determined to carry out your plan that you're unwilling to make an adjustment and care for the people that are there? Um, So I think those are things that like are important mindsets to have when we talk about valuing people over productivity. Yeah, and I think this example specifically is pretty interesting because it is about ministry. It talks about them doing ministry for the entire day, 
And Jesus, like Nick said, Jesus telling them, all right, we're going to pull away because we need to rest and we need to eat. And we see them get interrupted right in the middle of that. And Jesus very, very well could have just pulled the boat back away, went to a different place. And I think, especially as we do ministry, a lot of you guys as coaches and character coaches talking about like when you're planning even your ministry out. I've been guilty of this plenty of times when talking about huddles or even interning the past couple of years where we have such a good, well-scheduled plan for the things that we're going to do in a meeting time, in a day of power camp, where we're so focused on our schedule that we miss the opportunities like Seth, you were talking about. It's just like, this can happen to anyone and everyone. And especially in ministry, we have to be so cautious to really so aware of the spirit to be able to see the moments when those things are taking place and be willing to give up, especially as someone, I know we talked about the four core idols, especially as someone who struggles so much with control of like, this is the schedule I have, the schedule works, we're sticking to this, being so will, being willing enough to set that aside and maybe go late or set that aside and maybe miss some things in order for the spirit to work. Yeah, and a verse that comes to my mind is is from Second Timothy chapter four, I think verse two, where Paul instructs Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely designated times that we're supposed to do that, and then there's undesignated times where things just kind of pop up. And what he's saying is to be ready. So the first challenge that I would give to myself and and others and you guys listening is I'm just taking this from three dimensional coaching. There's a saying that they use there that you can't be a tour guide to a land that you've never been. Mm-hmm. You can't really value and help people if you've never been on the journey yourself. Yeah. So the first thing is, man, we need to be ready as Christian athletes, Christian coaches, Christian leaders, husbands, wives, whatever role you fit into. We need to be ready in season and out of season. We need to have the word of God abiding and dwelling in us richly. We need to be ready with a word. We need to be ready because we're in the word. It's kind of like what, what we say in discipleship, and I took this from a guy named Robbie Gallaty and added some stuff to it, but you know, we get into the word so that the word would get into us so that in these situations, the word will come out of us mm-hmm. because people don't need my advice. People don't need Seth or Zach's advice or, or your advice or anyone, any worldly advice. What we need is the word of life. What we mm-hmm. need is is the, the fountain of life. So in season and out of season. So the first half of it that Zach was talking about is just kind of like the spontaneous interaction. And Seth talked a lot about having a plan, not, not being willing to deviate from the plan. The other part of it is, are you willing to put it in your plan? Yeah. Are you willing to plan differently? So you see, we were reading through John 4 through 6, and there's this pattern that Jesus intentionally did things and met with people that weren't, through the world's eyes a big deal like i mean if we were going to start a revolution we would start at the top and have it filtered down we wouldn't start at the bottom and try to work its way up we would start at the top and try to get the most i mean even the temptation with fca is like well what celebrity speaker can we get what hope high profile athlete or coach can we go after and it's like no that's not the way that jesus operated Mm-hmm. He took who was in front of him. And in, in John 4 through 6, I mean, John John 5, he goes to Samaria and interacts with the Samaritan woman. He, she's the first one, this woman who's at a well in the middle of the day, outcast from society. She's not a, She would not be a varsity player. 
She's not even highly regarded in her own village. So the Samaritans were the enemies of the Jew, to the Jews. Israelites and Samaritans hated each other. Um, so they definitely are not, just being a Samaritan disqualifies you from the Jewish people that they're not interacting with you. And then the women of the village wouldn't even interact with her because she was there in the middle of the day. When the women went in the morning to go get the water, she wasn't welcome because Jesus asked, asked her and said, where's your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. He goes, you've answered correctly. <laughs> like, you've been married a bunch of times, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. So she's got a, a shady and sketchy past. And this is the woman that Jesus goes out of his way. It, it says that he, he, had to go through, he had to go through Samaria to get to where he was going, to get to Jerusalem. There were other alternative routes that people usually would take, that they would gladly go out of their way. Jesus, yeah. Jesus had to go there because he purposed yeah. to go there. That was his plan, was to reach this woman and to use her to reach this village. And we know that that wasn't his mission. I mean, other places in the, in, in the Gospels, you see that Jesus interacted with a woman who was asking her, asking him to heal her daughter and deliver her daughter from a demon. And Jesus says, no, my mission is to the children, not to their pets. Yeah. Which is kind of a thing that on TikTok has gone crazy, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, people breaking that verse apart. But we'll leave that for another time. But he went to this woman. Like, that was not his mission. His mission was to the Jews. Yeah. Was to the God's chosen people. But he decided for the first time to share and reveal that he was the son of God to this woman at the well. And it's the first time he doesn't say, don't go and tell. He says, go and tell them. Yeah. Go. And he stayed in that village for two more days. And then from mm -hmm. there, he's going to Jerusalem. But he goes on his way to Jerusalem intentionally by these ponds where he's going to go to see this lame guy who's been, we're, we're joking around talking about it, but it, it says that in the ESV, it says that he's an invalid. He's been an invalid for 38 years. Or another way to say that is invalid, which is kind of the derogatory nature of that word. We're saying that they're not good enough. He's going to find this guy, and on his way there, this official, I'm not, I didn't make this connection until right now, but there's this official that comes to him with his son is sick on the way. Jesus doesn't deviate from his route. I mean, it seems like you should go out of your way with an official, like with mm -hmm. somebody who can help you. Yeah. And Jesus just says, no, it's fine. He won't die. Your son's not going to die. Yeah. And sends him out, sends him back. And that official goes home, his servants meet him on the way, and they're like, your son is better. The fever left him. When did it leave him? Oh, exactly when Jesus said he's not going to die. But on Jesus bypasses going to this official's house and goes and meets this invalid for, of 38 years by a pond, heals him. He picks up his mat. He gets in trouble with the Pharisees because it, it was on the Sabbath. And then makes sure, caring for this guy enough and gets himself in trouble. This is the first time you see that they're ready to kill him for doing stuff on the Sabbath. Which, he, which is funny. Talk people with productivity. That is the, the... They didn't like that he healed him because it didn't go according... It wasn't the plan. You, The plan is not to heal on Sunday. I mean, that is the prime example of the opposite of people over productivity. And I so. am so guilty of that, of being yeah. the Pharisee in that situation. Mm -hmm. But Jesus goes out of his way to come back to the synagogue, knowing that this guy's getting heat. He left, he left the pool because he knew there was heat. But he wanted to go back and tell him, repent, live a life 
of repentance. Turn so that something worse does not happen to you. And he's not, I mean, look, the dude's been, in, he's been paralyzed, not functional, less than for 38 years. What's worse than that? He's talking about the eternal state of his soul. Mm-hmm. He's talking about his, his eternity. And he said, go and sin no more so that something worse does not happen to you. And gets on the radar. So that's when the motions get started for him to be crucified. And we know that that's the plan of God. And again, our whole, this whole philosophy is kind of built on that, not my will, but yours be done. Like Jesus was going to head that way regardless, but he put himself in harm's way, put himself in harm's way with the woman at the well and with this invalid to be able to care for them at a deeper level. Yeah. So my question from here is, okay, so we get it. (laughs) I mean, I think we're pretty clear. People over productivity. How do we care for people and value them over productivity in the world of sport? Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, it's not something you, it's a condition of the heart. First of all, if people are not important, as important to you as whatever you want to get done, then there's nothing. The second something goes on in the moment gets tight, which your heart, you really want to finish this, but then there's, there's an opportunity here to, to be there for, for someone or to minister to someone in some way, there's going to be a big tension there. And if your heart is not set, like where Jesus said, he had to go through Samaria. If your mindset is not, I have to, you know, I have to serve and support um, the people that God has placed around me, then it's not going to happen, first of all. But it, I mean, it is something we talked, how we talked about Jesus was interrupted and also planned um, that, vi- like, we need to build caring for people into what we do. So if you're a head coach and you're building out your season, you need to build that time into your practice time or, or into your week somewhere where you do it. And then once you create that culture, odds are if your players and your coaches feel more comfortable coming around you about personal things or caring for people, you're going to be interrupted more because they're more willing to come and to, to discuss those things or talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it needs to be built in. And, and we also need to be willing to be interrupted that our will whatever we want for the day Mm -hmm. is not going to happen that because the truth is if like when i was sharing earlier when there's just a mood over practice Mm -hmm. or something i've been up i've led this i've been trying to say no we're going to do it this way and if they're not on board they're going to get on board this is going to be a difficult Mm -hmm. practice and that rarely that rarely works if it's not done with the right attitude or there's okay there's something going on let's stop for five minutes and address what's going on is there something going on on the team that's happening is you know what's happening but then even if you're an assistant coach an assistant coach you have the prime position because my favorite part of being an assistant coach while our head coach is dealing with the whole team I get to pull people aside and do a lot of one-on-one coaching um, every yeah. time a player comes off the field during one of our games most of the time I pull them aside all right how you know how do you feel like you did what you know and they'll tell me what they think did well what they didn't do well and i'll share with them what i think they can do better and Mm -hmm. what they've been doing well and their approach how they're feeling you know how confident they are those kinds of character things as well you know as an assistant coach i have much more of an opportunity to care for the people because a lot of times the head coach is heading up the productivity 
piece. Mm-hmm. So as an assistant coach, you are in prime position to do this. So Yeah, there's two two examples come to my mind. Um, the first is a personal one. The second is something I saw on Facebook. And Seth and Zach, I know you're going to have something to say about the second one, so I'll leave that for a second okay. uh, about grades. So the first one, I, I, I can't help but think about people who have done this well, coaches that have done this well in my life. And I played at Delaware State University, played football there from 2005 to 2009. And hands down, my best two years of my best two years athletically happened in 2006 and 2007. In 2006, I was um, in 2007, I played for a guy named Jeff Braxton. Coach Braxton was seriously incredible coach. But more than that, I knew that he loved me. We had a relationship. Um, he is, he actually helped baptize me, which was a really a privilege and incredible. But in 2000, in 2007, so yeah, Coach Braxton got me, got a lot out. He got the most out of me as a player. I was more productive playing for him than I was anybody else. But it was because I knew that he genuinely loved me. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was at my wedding. He, uh, when my daughter was in the hospital this past year, he's on the prayer chain of people I'm asking to pray for her. Uh, he's still involved in my life today, but it's because he invested in my life. When my dad, there was an in, there was a um, an accident that happened in 2007 in the middle of a championship run where my dad was uh, in a life threatening accident. Where did I run? Who was the first person I ran to when I found out what was going on? Coach. That's not because he was wanted me to be an all-conference center. He wanted me to be go try out for the New York Giants so that I could he I could make it to the NFL and he could hang a picture of me up on his wall. Although he did have several pictures on his wall of guys who he coached that played in the NFL. Um, I didn't last long enough to get a picture on the wall, but other guys did. It wasn't because he wanted stuff out of me. It's because he wanted to invest mm-hmm. in me. Uh, the second example that comes to my mind. Um, well, before that, the challenge is, do, our pl- do your players feel like that about you as a coach? Is there a relationship there? Or like in the college coaching world, is the only time you show up in their house is when you're recruiting them? <laughs> like make that equivalent of, of youth and high school and whatever else. But like is the only time you show up in their world when you're trying to get something from them. As a player, as a team captain, to those who you're leading, do you have that type of relationship and care for them? Or are you just trying to get them to do the things that you want them to do so that you can be a successful team? The second example I saw was uh, on Facebook a discussion about AAU basketball and trying to condense AAU basketball in southern Delaware and on the eastern shore of Maryland. Uh, and they're asking, we got to pull the best players together, all this stuff. And they're like, isn't this all about the kids? Shouldn't we be doing this for the kids? And someone commented, well, if this was really about the kids and we were doing it for the kids, then why would AAU programs let kids who are flunking out of school play on their teams? Why would AAU programs let kids who are flunking or who are not showing up to school play on their teams? Because it's about productivity. It's about money. It's about recognition. It's about status. Where if there's a – I mean, Seth, you were saying some stuff about this, but, like, if there's a kid who's failing – Man, it's our duty to lead them and find out what's going on. Like, because at the end of the day, sport will end. I mean, LeBron James is still hanging in there at 30, whatever. Tom Brady's still hanging in there at 40 or whatever he is. But it's going to end. 
And are we valuing the people that we are leading and the people that we are participating in sport with as fathers and husbands and productive citizens and trying to deposit the same word of life and bread of life into that their soul would, they have a soul that's going to last forever. But there's only two destinations of where that's going to go. Are we investing spiritually in the people who are under our care or that we're rubbing shoulders with? with blood, sweat, and tears battling in this world of sport. Yeah, I know I know specifically with grades. I've been in multiple situations where, okay, we hear that one of the kids is at the high school level is failing, so they can't practice until they get their grades up. First of all, I'm like, why didn't I know about this sooner? Like most of the time when we get new kids into the program or whatever, I always talk to them about their family about school, um, like ask them what kind of grades they get, you know, what their favorite studies are, what their not favorite studies are, what their families is like. Do they live with mom and dad, mom and stepdad, you know, whatever. I mean, as a coach, I feel like if now if you're over a football program, I realize you have a lot more athletes under you, so that might be more difficult. But under over a soccer program where – there's also a lot more coaches. That's also true. So it's divided into position groups. So it's 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 apl- applicable there for sure. That that's also true. Um, but on a soccer team where we have you know eighteen to twenty two ish um, players on the team, I mean, hopefully you value people over productivity enough that you already know like that there's a kid who struggles with grades. And when someone does struggle with grades, it's not going to the teacher and saying, "Hey, how can they make this up so they can keep playing again." No, it's about asking, you know, talking about the player, what's happening? Are you being lazy? Is there something going on? Do you just struggle here? Do you need help? You know, um, figuring out what's going on, not just focusing on getting them back on the team and back playing. Like I said, if you value people over productivity, you should know or foresee certain situations happening with certain players because you know them well enough. The challenge for us in the world of sport, as leaders in the world of sport, I think is that challenge of really valuing the person and valuing the people, regardless of what we can get out of them. So that's a conversation we're going to jump into. Another one of the overs is the weak over the strong. So we'll dive deeper in in that for sure. But part of valuing that is entering into the world of our athletes. I mean, I was kind of I made that comment a couple minutes ago. It was like the only time that you're in their world is when you need something from them. I mean, I think of Clay Lloyd used to do a great job of this. He was the he was a co- he was the the coach at Smyrna High School here for a long time. Now is he's been on my board and great friend. But he used to invite me over to dinner. He started this when he was a young coach before I think he was even a believer. That he made it a practice when he was a linebackers coach that he would have all of his players and their families over for dinner one-on-one like he would cook for him him and his wife would cook they'd cook for him they would spend time with them but that was their thing that they would have one family over every week and then when I started getting involved as the character coach for the team he would have me and Lindsay show up so players family Clay and his family and me and my family Hmm, that's good to invest relationally and I mean, I still talk to those guys, a lot of those guys today from that, that team. 
I'm still in somewhat relationship with them, and some of them happened to come and play at DSU for a few years, where I got to spend more time with them. But I know that I know that they still talk to Coach Lloyd. Mm-hmm. I know that there's still relationships that last well past 20, 30 years of coaching that are still going on today because of that. But that's the cha- that would be my challenge is enter into the world. Maybe it's going going to the house. I mean, in three D coaching, they talk about going in. Going to going to do a house visit. Go to a home visit. Go see what their living situation's like. Invite them into your home. Bring their families in. Because again, what's the purpose of what we're doing? I, I found a championship ring in my car from 2007 a couple weeks ago. Did not know it was there. Mm-hmm. It's gonna burn one day. Mm-hmm. But our kids, uh, the kids that we're influencing, players that we're playing with, they could have an opportunity to live forever with you yep. and with the Lord. So that yep. investment is worth it. Yeah. Mm. No, I think that's a great way to wrap up. Um, and I think I think all of this just points to. It's funny how we talked about being interrupted, but then we also we shared a lot of examples of intentional ways to invest into people. I love the idea of opening the home, and um, I think I shared a lot of ideas that were during practice. And I think you brought up something great that if you really care about people over productivity, there should be happening should be something happening probably out of season outside of practice time um and odds are you pull you when you pull people out of the natural context your ability to have an impact on them changes dramatically why like i volunteer to youth group when we take kids on mission trips and part of that reason we do that is to serve but we could serve at home why do we serve away well it's because when you pull people out of their natural environment you it it has a bigger impact on what they're doing they're outside of what is normal same thing coach if you step off of the field and and like nick i love what you're saying and enter into their environment i mean i think those opportunities to use that will have so much greater impact so i love what you shared there so thank you guys for joining us we're excited next week we'll be back with you talking about inside over outside